It's not always the big things that change the world. It's the small acts of kindness that happen repeatedly over a lifetime that make the world a better place. So every week we share a story of someone like you who is doing good in the world in their own way. Welcome to Doing Good with Carmen Herbert. Hello everyone and welcome to Doing Good. I'm your host, Carmen Herbert. And today on the podcast, I have Holly Porter as my guest. I first met Holly when we spoke at a women's event a couple years ago, and I was completely enthralled with her incredible story. Holly has been through some, I mean, life-changing, incredible trials in her life. And the way that she's navigated those trials and gotten through them is awe-inspiring, and I can't wait to share her story with you today. So Holly is the oldest of nine kids, and she has seven of her own. Besides seven kids, she has four horses, 15 chickens, four dogs, and three cats. So Holly, I think it's safe to say that you're an animal lover. (laughs) Yep, to the core. I love animals. I love people. I just love, yeah, just being around special spirits that bring me happiness. So my my husband, he's more of a, he always told me when we were dating, you know what, if I could live my dream, I would want to be a hermit in the mountains. So almost <laughs> opposite of me, but they always say opposites attract, right? Opposites for sure attract. Well, and being in the mountains, you're around animals too. So <laughs> that is true. Yep. It's so, so, and I love that you call the animals like special spirits. I, I believe with all my heart that animals are like the sweetest, most innocent, loving. I mean, some animals are terrifying and scary, but like, like horses and dogs and cats, I truly think like they were placed here on this earth to bring us joy and, and to help us get through difficult trying times. And, and that's specifically what we're going to talk about today, how a horse actually saved your life. And I cannot wait for listeners to hear the story. It is incredible and amazing. So really quickly, besides being an animal enthusiast, Holly is a teacher, trainer, wife, mother, friend, and artist active in her Christian church, which is the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, a barrel racer and phenomenal speaker. You're just a cowgirl who's Crazy for helping others by inspiring them to find strength and courage to rise up and overcome challenges with grit, courage, faith, perseverance, a smile, (laughs) M&Ms, and Dr. Pepper are two of your weaknesses and I'm sure have helped get you through some of these trials. Sugar and caffeine, like that, what can't get you through trials, right? It's the perfect combination, right? (laughs) Exactly. That's the perfect combo. A little bit of faith, a little bit of caffeine, a little bit of sugar. So I just want to dive right in and talk about your incredible story of your horse saving your life. And, and, and before I say that, so I've had two dogs that I've owned and then my, my dog, honey had 12 puppies in January. So I raised 14 dogs (laughs) in my life. And I can honestly say, I know people that are not dog people or not animal lovers, like maybe can't understand this, but, and it may sound silly, but like, I really have a testimony that animals have the most, the sweetest spirits and can honestly, truly help you. And it's actually proven that they can help anxiety, depression, fear. There's horseback riding in particular for children with Asperger's and autism, that repetitive motion of the trotting and the walking can actually help reset the brain and calm nerves. There's horse therapy is a very popular thing. And I'm sure you can totally testify to that. Oh yeah, I can. And I I've seen it in my own kids. I've seen it in my own life going through little. So I had postpartum depression that I dealt with being able to get back on a horse after I had my youngest made, 
it was so therapeutic on a level, even though I had rode quite a bit before I had my youngest, it just brought out a whole nother level that I didn't even realize was available to me. It was, it was quite a neat experience. That is amazing. And we got our dog. So she's a 75 Bernadoodle pound, 75 pound Bernadoodle. My kids literally ride her like a horse. I mean, they've like ridden her around. It's like she was getting a drink through the bathtub the other day. My kids will sometimes turn on the bathtub and give her a drink. And my six-year-old just climbed on her back while she was getting a drink. She just sat there. And then she just gently bowed down when she was done like, okay, get off now. I mean, she is, they pull her tail and bonk their heads on her and wrestle with her. And she's just the sweetest. And when, whenever I'm having a particularly hard day, and there've been times when I've been on my knees crying and sobbing, she always comes in and she'll rest her paw on my shoulder. Like, it's okay. It's okay. And has literally licked my tears away. I mean, they are just so special. So she has helped me in my life, but I want to talk about your special horse. His name is Captain. And I want you to talk to the listeners about how incredible, first of all, tell us about how you got him. And did you know right off the bat, if he was special and different, and then walk us through the story of how Captain saved your life. Okay. Well, Captain, so one thing I want to mention, all of my animals have Disney character names. So his full name is actually Captain Hook. I call him Captain for short. Oh, cute. Um, actually Captain Hook. So I've had almost all of the main Disney movie characters as animals before. I've used probably Peter Pan the most. I've had a Smee. I've had a Shere Khan. I have a Bambi right now. I have a Rider, Flynn Rider. Oh, cute. We had a chief. I'm trying to go through all my horses really quick. I have a lady from Lady and the Tramp. Octavius from Cinderella. They On the movie, they call him Gus Gus the Mouse. Oh, yes, Gus. So you're a huge Disney fan. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, we've had a lot of uh, Disney names. Anyways, so when I first got Captain, it was actually kind of funny. He was probably the most stuck-up horse I have ever met in my life. Like, he was the – if you could ever call an animal a brat, he was a brat. Like, he <laughs> was the, a snob, like, just a stuck-up snob, like his personality. Like, he wanted things his way, and if it wasn't his way, then he would give you the nose-in-the-air treatment. And I am oh. not – he put his nose literally in the air like – no. no, this isn't the way I like it. And until you get it right, I'm not giving you the time of day. No like way. literally. And I think it's amazing. I think all animals, if you're listening and paying attention, talk to you, whether that's this is not meeting my satisfaction or they're like, oh, I love you. And I want to give you all my attention. And or like your cute little dog. Oh, how can I comfort you? What can I do for you? I know that you're hurting and I love you and I want to be here for you. If you just listen, animals just talk to you and they have personalities. It is oh, amazing yes. that they yes. feel and and go through emotions almost like we do. It is incredible to, I actually have a video and I show it once in a while when I go and speak. When I'm trying to put this point across, the animals communicate with me. I'm actually talking to Captain and I had put, I had gone to get Captain to put him away. And he was like, no, I'm not ready to get put away yet. So I said, okay, I'll put everybody else away. And then he realized I had given everyone grain. And normally he is the first one that gets his grain because he demands it, like literally demands that he is the first one. And once he realized what was going on, he went and stood in a corner and gave me the cold shoulder treatment and was so mad at me. So I walked around and I started talk, 
talking to him and I was like, Hey, are you ignoring me? Are you giving me shoulder <laughs> treatment? And you can see his ear. It literally twitched towards me. Like, so horses move their ears individually. Yes. His one ear turned right towards me. So I knew he was listening to me and he, I am not kidding. If you could see this video, put his nose farther in the air, like, I'm not going to give you the time of day because you know that I am first to green. And he was so mad at me. And so he finally turned towards me. My daughter, I didn't realize it, was watching us converse. And she actually grabbed her phone and started recording us having this conversation. Oh because he laughs at us that we I talked to him like a person anyways. So yeah. she started recording. And so I got him to turn and look at me. And I was like, I, so I had to apologize. And so I apologized, <laughs> told him I was sorry. And I said, are you ready to, for me to come get you? And so you can have your grain. And I kid you not, he shook his head yes on cue, right when I asked that question. And my daughter had it on video. So I could video to people. It, I wasn't using a prop. It was totally random. Yeah. And so that is just his personality. So when I first got him, I just learned that he just had this cork that he thought he was a pretty, something pretty special. He and thought he was he, all that. And, and that horse darn well knew it. I was just thinking, you know what? He's just an average cow horse, like any other horse that I've had. And but I soon realized, you know what? He darn well is right. He is something special. <laughs> so I actually got this whistle that I would only use when I would bring him a treat, his treats or his grain. And so I started using this whistle and I got to the point where I could whistle and he could hear it from miles away. Like I swear he would come running from the pasture. He would come up to the gate from his stall anytime I whistled because he knew I was coming with a grain or treat. And he, we actually formed this bond when right at the beginning, he wanted nothing to do with me. Like he started to, we just kind of learned this trust with one another. And, and so we kind of built on that. And eventually, even though when I first bought him, so when I bought him, he was 21. So he was quite a bit older. So he's old. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. He was already older. And that's why the previous owner was selling him because they were like, you know what? We love love him and they did love him but they just had other horses that were younger that they were tr training and bringing up and doing whatever and I was just in the I needed something for my son that was learning how to barrel race so I needed something older that was safe and dependable and that was him he was very safe very dependable but he even though I bought him for my son captain actually bonded with me and it was just the little things that I did and probably the effort that I put into trying to get a relationship. But it took a while because at first he didn't care. Yeah, so yeah, you had I to did. earn that trust. Yep. Him. Yep. You did. And it, and that's, I was totally understandable because, you know, he was switching homes and he was yeah. a bit older. He'd had the same home for years and years and years. So I'm sure that was hard and traumatic. It would be hard and traumatic for me to have to switch homes and families yes. and stuff. So we just formed this bond and we had this friendship. I just knew he was always taking care of me and I knew he was always taking care of my son that I bought him for so we never had to worry about not feeling safe around him he was very cautious about the way he moved around us you know some horses don't pay attention they'll just swing their back end and bump you and what he always was careful about where he was when we were next to him he was always very careful watched his feet very cautious so we always just, yeah, we were just always always felt safe around him learning to we all kind of used him to learn to barrel race and stuff because I didn't learn to barrel race until I had a coach teach my son and my daughter so we kind of all learned together and and captain was very patient with all of us as we learned because we were he was a veteran and we were all rookies so we were making mistakes left and right and yes and he would do this funny little 
sigh when we would <laughs> make too many mistakes, <laughs> but still being patient with us. So, yeah. I mean, just his personality and characters like that, his characteristics like that were just one in a million. And it, especially when he got to the point where I, I could go out in the barn and he would hear my voice and he would come out. He would come out of the barn just to greet me um, bond like that. It was just one of those. I have other horses that I communicate with. And I don't know why his was so much different. I have other horses that try to, to bond with me like that. And I a couple of years ago, I had to say goodbye because he had a tumor that ruptured. And oh. so he was bleeding internally and it was extremely painful and there was nothing we could do to save him. And so we had to say goodbye. And and maybe I just haven't healed enough maybe to bond with the other horses, even though my other horses still try to reach out to me. And maybe it was because Captain didn't reach out to me and I had to reach out to him that I bonded so much yeah. with him than anyone else. But it's funny when I go out to the barn now, all the horses are like trying to fight for my attention. Really? Yeah, right. Yeah, so it's just a little bit different like that. So yeah, that's kind of how we got Captain and his personality and how that came about. Well, he sounds like such an incredible horse. And it's interesting that you talk about bonding and it is, it's, it's, you can feel. And again, for those who are like, oh, I just don't get it with animals. If you really take the time to get to know them and they really do like horses, dogs, they do have different personalities and different spirits. Like they just, they do. It's so interesting that they all come as unique individuals like people do. And there was this one time we went to Huntsville for an event with my husband and there was a horse in a barn that we were at and he, I could just tell he was wild. <laughs> and it, this sounds so funny, but, but every Everyone's like, oh yeah, he's, he's like a, he's a wild horse. We're just breaking him right now. And I went over to see him and I'm not kidding. It sounds so weird. I felt like the strongest connection with this horse. And he came right up to me and he was looking at me and I was looking at him and I'm like, I feel like this is going to sound weird to my husband. I'm like, I feel like I could ride this horse. I feel like this horse and I would get along. And he's like, okay. And I'm like, no, I really do. Like, I feel like this connection with this horse, he was watching me. He was paying attention to me. I felt like, oh my gosh, if, if I, and I never saw him again, but I never forgot that moment of, I felt like that horse was like looking into my soul. Does that sound crazy? No, it's cause it's totally true. It really does happen. They really can see like my horses. If I'm having a bad day, I can just walk out to feed them and they know right away I'm having a bad day and they're either trying to nuzzle me like, are you okay? Or if I am really upset, they'll be like, okay, I'm going to stand on the outside while you throw my feet on the inside of the barn. <laughs> so you don't get mad at me because I can tell you're upset right now. Like they, in a heartbeat, will just pick up on Yep. Just like you said, your soul, they see it's, right into it. Yep. It is the, it, it was the craziest experience. It was so interesting to me, but so you had this bond with captain that you had built. And, and so how long had you been, had you owned him before? Let's talk about the incident that happened when he saved your life. How long had you owned him before that happened? So it had been about, I would say a little over two years. Okay. So you had had significant time where you had a relationship with him. And at that point, were you like, I totally trust this horse. I trust him with with me. I trust him to know, you know, where he's going and, and all that kind of stuff. Or, or were you still forming that? And did that bond come after? We, we actually had a pretty good relationship because I had worked hard for it because he at first, like I said, didn't want anything to do with me. So by then... Yeah. 
we really did have a pretty good relationship. And we were actually just out on a trail ride, just riding. And I was with my father-in-law, who is completely blind. And we had gone several times on this trail ride. So it was no big deal. And the horse that he was on was one of my horses as well. And we just had this same little trail that we would follow. The horses knew what to do. And I had two very good horses. So the horse my father-in-law was on would follow right behind me and Captain. And he just would not, if I would step off to the left, the horse would follow. Or if I would zigzag, the horse would follow. So I was never, it was never a concern or a worry. But this particular day, my father-in-law had been more excited about his ride. And so in turn, he was moving his hands. And my The horse that he was on was just trying to do what my father-in-law's hands were directing him to do. And so he got turned and started actually stepping backwards. He was pulling back on the reins, which was pulling the horse backwards. And when I turned around to talk to my father-in-law, I saw that they were actually stepping backwards towards a canal. And the edge of that canal actually had like a seven or eight foot drop. So I was like in instant panic mode. And I just called out to my father-in-law, dad, put your hands forward. And he was like, I don't understand what that means. And I was like, put your hands forward, hurry. Like I yes. was so panicked because I knew if he would just put his hands forward, he would release the pressure. And yes. Quit stepping backwards. And my father-in-law, that just gave him a little bit of anxiety. And he was like, I don't understand. So he kind of tensed up and he didn't release the pressure and the horse stepped off this bank backwards. And, and I just automatically just panicked and jumped off of captain and ran over. And I looked down into the, to the canal and they were still standing, but my father-in-law knew that something had happened. So he tensed up even more and they ended up pulling, he pulled the horse over. So now they're laying in the canal on their side. And now my father-in-law feels that he's wet. He can't see, he has no idea. All of a sudden things are just going crazy and he doesn't understand what has happened. So I did not want him to get hurt. So I jumped down in the canal, grabbed the horse by the bridle and just pulled the horse towards me as hard as I could to get him away from my father-in-law to keep him safe, cued the horse to jump out of the canal. And as he went to jump out of the canal, the canal bank just gave out from under his feet. So he fell on the right side of my chest and he jumped up and was scrambling to get his footing. And and he went to try to jump out again because I had told him to do that and he was a really good horse and was trying to do as I asked yeah and he his back end slipped out from underneath him as he tried to jump again and his whole body like his back end landed square in the middle of my chest and I just heard everything go break and crunch let me just interrupt you really fast Holly is maybe a hundred (laughs) pounds like you are tiny no but she is a very small woman. So imagine, I mean, not that, I mean, any woman of any size, it would, it would crush, but imagine like a tiny, very petite woman getting crushed by, I mean, how much did this horse weigh? Probably between 1100 and 1200 pounds. I mean, I just, it, 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 it should have killed you. Honestly, it it should have killed you. So the second, yeah, the second time the horse fell on me for sure should have killed me. I'm a very firm believer that temple blessings came into play because of what I wear. And so that was a big, big part. I also, yeah, I, 
the horse jumped up. And then when he jumped up, my first instinct was just to take a huge gasp of air. So I was, you know, cause you're in panic mode and you, that's the first thing you do. <gasps> well, I went to do that and I couldn't breathe. There was like nothing to gasp. And I thought, oh, I can't breathe. Oh my gosh, I've just been crushed. And yes. I'm now gonna die because this horse just crushed me. Yes. And so I went to gasp for air again. And I was like, oh, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. And so just completely panicked. And I was like, I don't wanna die like that. I, everything that started going through my mind, I'm just going to say, and I was like, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. And so I was prayed right then. Heavenly father, please help me. Heavenly father. I don't want to die. I have kids at home that I don't want to leave. Please. I don't want to die. Please help me. I can't breathe. Heavenly father, what should I do? I can't breathe. Please help me. And I just felt a huge calm and peace and a prompting just to stop gasping, stop trying to gasp and take big breaths. So I thought, okay, I'm going to try breathing differently. And so I just started taking these really short, quick breaths and I was able to find air and start breathing again. And it was such a huge sense of relief because I just thought, oh, I am breathing again. I thought yes. I was going to die yes. um, just a few seconds ago. However, with every breath I took, I started coughing up blood and it, I realized right off the get go that that was happening because I must have a punctured lung. And I thought, oh, great. I'm in worse trouble than I thought. <laughs> you know, first of all, I just thought, you know, I have some broken ribs because I heard them break. Now I'm realizing that I now have a, at least one punctured lung. It ended up being that I had both my lungs punctured and my right lung was punctured twice. And so it was just a really harsh situation because my both of my lungs are filling with blood, which oh is goodness. essentially going to drown me. Right. Um, I, I can't take big breaths of air, so I'm not getting the oxygen that I need. And meanwhile, where's your father-in-law? Is he still laying in the so, ditch? And so I'm going through all that and I'm, hold, I'm still holding on to the horse. Oh, all of this, because I thought I am not going to let this horse go and do this to my father-in-law. So I'm still desperately holding on to the horse's reins. And with, even though I'm coughing up blood, my father-in-law can kind of hear that I'm struggling. So he asks, are you okay? And I'm able to talk like every other gas or I wasn't gasping, but every other breath. Cause I'm like, <laughs> like taking these little breaths. And so I, I would breathe in and then say, dad, there's, and then I told him that there was some roots of a tree that were coming down into the water. I said, reach out with your right hand and you're going to feel these, this root system, follow it up. There'll be a trunk of a tree, climb up and hold on to that tree until someone finds you. When oh he cleaned out of the canal, I finally let the horse go. So I could just focus on me trying to climb out. So at that point, I tried to climb out of the canal. And as I'm trying to climb out of the canal, I'm just doing the same thing the horse did. The ground is giving way and I'm just sliding back down into the water. And it was pretty pointless. There was no way I was climbing out of there. And my father-in-law couldn't go get help because he can't see. And so he would have no idea of finding his way back. I asked him if he could call for help. So he got his phone out, but his phone had gotten wet when he fell in the water. So he couldn't call for help. I reached, I kind of felt around in my pockets to see if I had my phone still. My phone had fallen out of my pocket in the canal somewhere. There was no way I was going to find it. So we had no way of calling anyone. Oh my gosh. There wasn't a single person that knew where we were. We were hidden. So like this canal wasn't in the open at all. 
it was lined by all these trees and there was a one of those barbed wire fences and so nobody had even known where we had went first of all second of all nobody could even see us there there was just no way we were going to get found no and i had very little time so i'm laying on the canal and and the holy ghost just whispers to me you need to give yourself a reason to live right now because if you don't you're not going to make it and so i thought okay no matter what i just got to tell myself you know, not to give up, don't give up, don't give up. And I want to live for my kids. And so I've always heard like in psychology classes that your brain is the most powerful tool in your body and that your body will believe anything your brain tells it. Yes. So I started telling my brain to tell my body not to die, die. (laughs) pretty much. I said, you remember your kids, remember your kids. So I told my brain to remember my kids and not to let my body give up. So that's kind of, I just kind of give myself a pep talk, you know, and tried to pump myself up in case I did eventually become unconscious. So I was just kind of preparing for that. And so I just started saying a prayer and was like, Heavenly Father, I've done everything that I can think of, everything that I'm capable of. I'm not going to survive if I don't get help. And we don't have a way to get help. Our cell phones aren't working. And I'm saying this prayer. And as I'm saying this prayer and it's coming to an end, Captain is still on top of the canal bank and he actually walks over and I'm laying back on the canal and he comes over and he puts his nose on my cheek and I was like oh yeah because through all this I wasn't even thinking about captain being up there still no right so my focus was just on living and and getting my father-in-law to safety so I was like oh yeah captain good boy and before I could even think another thought I was prompted to send him for help. So, and I just with the relationship that I have, didn't even give it a second thought that he couldn't do it. So I threw the reins over his head and I just said, go get help, buddy. And as soon as I did that and I pointed, he just took off like a shot and, and was like a horse with a mission, like on a purpose. And he knew he had to cross a bridge and turn left and turn right and turn left. And it had to go about a mile to get back to kind of where we started our trail ride from. And right as he came up to where we were parked, my friend that was originally going to go on this trail ride with us, she had called earlier and said, I had some things come up. I'm going to meet you there later. So she was just pulling into the parking lot when Captain came running up. Perfect timing. Yeah, she knew because he was there without me on his back and he was all saddled and bridled. She needed to come find me because she knew I would never be off his back unless something was wrong. Just because of she knew our relationship. She knew he always took care of me. Yeah. Knew that I rode good enough that I wouldn't be off of his back. So she actually she actually told me she goes, when I first saw Captain, I because her first thought wasn't that I was in trouble. It was about Holly got off her horse let go of the reins and captain just kind of wandered away from her and she went to chase him. And so then he started running from her because when she saw him, he was running. And so she was like, I'm going to, you know, razz her so much about this and letting her horse get away from her. And so that was her first thought. And right after that, she just got this sinking feeling like that's not it. You need to find her. And so she was like, something's not right. I need to go find her. And of course we know that's the Holy ghost that was like, you know, telling her this was something a little more. Yes. She got on him and just started yelling my name as loud as she could. And I think sometimes we get blessings where our senses are magnified a little bit in some situations. And for whatever reason, my hearing, I think was magnified by the Holy Ghost and I could hear her clear off in the distance yelling my name. So I told my father-in-law, 
I said, start yelling for help. Yes. Someone will hear you. Someone will find you. Don't stop. Yell and don't stop. I couldn't yell. I could barely even get those words out to my right. law. And he actually said, hey, are you doing okay? Don't, don't leave. Like, cause he could hear that my energy and my levels, and I was just talking a little more shallow. Yes. Tell I was really struggling. And I said, I'm okay, dad, just yell for help. So he just started yelling. They found each other. She was able to call 911. Life flight was called. They life flighted me to the hospital. And where did they land? Where did they, how did you get to life flight? So they, there was a huge field and right on the edge of the field was this canal. So they landed right in the middle of this field that we were Right, they came right. and found you laying in, in so my well my friend had found my father-in-law and so she knew where to direct him so she actually went out to the dirt road you know how they had to cross that oh road. yes so she flagged him down and showed him how to get to me and meanwhile so, where where was your other horse that had fallen on you he was down he was down in the canal so they actually they got me out. He actually just stood. He was he didn't move a muscle. He just stood right in by a tree and he just stood there the whole time. They got my father-in-law out. Then they asked my friend to hold both horses because they said we have life flight coming in. That helicopter, you know, gets yeah. hey, you know, it's windy, chaotic. Yeah. Those horses are probably going to freak out a little. So they said, get a, get him out of the canal and hold on to those horses. So she was like, okay. She actually told me those horses were as good as gold. They didn't even blink at that helicopter. And she goes, I, I expected them to freak out because, you know, that's a lot of commotion for a horse. Yes. Especially horses that have never been around a helicopter. Right. Most of them, you know, that creates a little bit of anxiety for an animal. And they were as good as gold. They didn't even, she said they didn't even blink. So that was a miracle that they just were good as gold Why the helicopter landed and yes, took me off. So but yeah, he, Captain played a big role that day saving my life. Well, that it's incredible that he knew when you said, go get help. H how did he know how, what that meant? I mean, exactly. he could have been like awesome and ran off in the woods or like if as soon as you give him his reins, he could have just sat there and ate grass. Like the fact that he made the fact that he knew and then that, well, that he went up to you to see if you, the fact that he checked on you. And then when you said, go get help, he knew where to go and did not get lost and went right back to the parking lot. And your friend happened to be pulling in right at that moment and got on and like everything is just miraculous. It's incredible. Yeah. It, it was not by coincidence by no. means. I don't talk about this very often, especially when I go and speak, but you are asking how when we put captain down, my husband, who is not an animal lover, offered, which really was a wonderful surprise for me. He offered, you know, when some people pass away, they get a blessing to pass. Yes. He offered to do that for Captain. My husband is kind of a skeptic when it comes to that I really have this unsaid language between me and my animals. He's kind of a skeptic. But in that blessing, I think the Holy Ghost kind of opened up his mind and heart. And he said that there were angels from the other side of the veil that there that day. And he spoke of them and my accidents. So I know how all that came to pass. I know that there was angels from the other side that were there assisting and helping everything fall into place and work how it was supposed to. And I, I don't know, we're not taught one way or another if animals have the veil or not, but he, he was aware of what was going on because there was angels there helping him get where he needed to go. So 
That is so incredible and how sweet. I, I know that we have ancestors and, and, you know, from the other side of the veil, I mean, Henry B. Eyring talks, has talked about it frequently. Lots of apostles have, but, um, he had a beautiful talk that talked about how our ancestors are there to help us. They are there, they care about us and, and they're involved in our lives. And I think it's so sweet that, that they could use your horse to be like, okay, I would want to be one of those, like, I'll ride the horse, you know, as an angel. I'll take that. Today. Yeah. Like, it, that's so cool that they were like, okay, we're going to help guide him. We're going to help him get to where, to where he needs to be so he can help save Holly's life. So what, what was your recovery like after that? Oh, that was probably harder than the accident itself. It was such a challenge. So I was on life support for three weeks. And it was, they were having the hardest time managing my pain and knowing, okay, we don't want to give too much of this pain medication because we don't want her to get addicted to it. And so they would have to switch and trying to figure out the safe levels of each thing to, to maintain. Now, when they did, when they got me to the hospital and they did all the x-rays, they discovered that every single rib was broken. Most of my ribs were broken several times and they were so crooked and jagged that they actually had to go in and put eight plates on them and straighten them out. So just so, cause I was not improving. I, it was three, I was three days in and I was actually getting worse. And it was because my lungs couldn't expand. Even though I was on life support, your lungs still have to expand and work. They, every time they would try to expand, it was so painful. I wouldn't let them, like I would stop my lungs from breathing in air because yes, jagged, yeah, those jagged edges of the rib oh, would like, I can't even imagine into them. And so it was so painful. So they straightened my rib cage out so I could breathe a little easier. And then there was, there was just one thing after another. It seemed like there was a time where they came and ran an epidural because they thought, okay, this will be a good way to numb things from her neck down. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And they placed the epidural. However, the epidural wasn't placed in the right place. And so I was actually getting absolutely no pain medication for the longest time. It was so excruciatingly painful that I would actually pass out from the pain. So I woke up and it was, I remember waking up and it was pitch dark and there was nobody in my room. It was nighttime. And I was like, I am in so much pain. I cannot stand this. Like it was just this jarring awake because I was just in so much pain. I would pass out and then I would wake up again and I'd be like, oh, I'm still in pain. And there's still no one. Like I was just hoping that I was going to wake up to morning, but I was just passing out from the pain over and over and then waking up. How and I did that. Yeah, I did that several times. And during those times, I was not in a good place because I just thought I wished when I was in the canal, I had the desire to live. I don't want to live through this. This is too much on me. This is too painful. When you're in so much pain that you're passing out from the pain, you your body can't handle it and your mind can no longer handle it. That's why you're passing out. Yes. So that's where I was. And I was just murmuring and complaining to the Lord and just, and just praying that some, somebody would come in and nobody would come in. And so I would complain and murmur because nobody, I was not getting any help and I couldn't do anything. I was intubated at the time. So that I had a tube down my throat. I couldn't, they had my arms tied down because when you're intubated, they tie your arms down so you don't rip it out. Oh my gosh. And some patients will rip it out. 
So I literally can't move, can't talk, can't do anything because I'm tied down and have this tube down my throat. And I just remember telling the Lord, I don't know. I don't think I can do this anymore. I, yeah, I don't I my mind. I'd yeah. rather die. I'm too, I'm yeah, this is my breaking point. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I, I just don't have it in me to fight. I've been fighting and trying and, and going through this for so long and I am exhausted. I just don't have it in me to fight anymore. And then I went a step farther and then started complaining about, I don't know that anyone could be in more pain than I am right now. Cause I had had two or three surgeries. They had to put drainage tube into my lungs to drain all the blood out and fluid that was filling up my lungs. They put the plates on. And so I had had all these surgeries. Plus I'm completely crushed and broken still and have no pain medication, no pain control whatsoever. I'm feeling everything. And so I'm just complaining about, I don't think anyone has ever been in this much pain. I don't know if it's possible to be in more pain than I am right at this moment. Yeah. I'm just complaining. And then surprisingly enough, the Lord stepped in and chastised me a little bit and said, you better hold on just a doggone minute. There is someone and you know exactly who that someone is. And he knows exactly what you're going through right now. You better be grateful and stop complaining. Like, and it was, even though I was getting chastised, it was the most wonderful, loving rebuke I have ever received in a moment that I just was at my weakest. Yes. And so the Lord didn't take that from me. He taught me actually in that moment instead of taking it from me. And so that was a very significant growing experience for me as I was recovering and, and trying to heal through this whole thing. Did someone eventually come in and give you pain meds and make you take away some of that and comfort you? So the next morning, my dad came in. So my parents were sleeping at the hospital and in the ICU, they don't let anyone sleep in your room. They have to sleep in the waiting room. Oh, So they were in the waiting room and when they came in the next morning, my dad could just see it all over my face. Oh yeah. I'm sure you were ashen face. I was in agony. So he asked the nurse to check, are you sure that she's getting the pain medication she needs? Cause she does not look good. Yeah. And so she quickly checked and she was like, oh yeah, everything's fine. The needle is still in her back. She, She didn't check to see if it was placed correctly. She just was, oh, it's still in. So it should be working. And went on her day. Well, it just so happened that the charge nurse happened to be doing rounds and came in. And my dad was like, I have been sitting here watching my daughter lay here in agony. Something is not right. I'm her father. I can tell. I'm telling you something is not right. Will you please check it? So the charge nurse checked my epidural and she was like, this isn't even placed correctly. She hasn't been getting pain medications since this was put in. She goes, we will take care of this. Like she just got right on it, took care of it. So it, yes, it did get taken care of, but Uh, not till the next morning when my dad was like insistent standing up for me. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, he played a big role in helping me at that moment. Oh my goodness. And then you, you, so three weeks later you come home and now you have a long road. So three weeks later, I actually went into the rehab part of the hospital rehab from the ICU. So I was there for two weeks. 
Oh. So then I came home. Yeah. And as soon as I came home, it was actually incredible. So the first thing I wanted to do, so my husband was just like, okay, we have your bed all ready for you. They actually, my in-laws happened to have, it was amazing, a hospital bed that sat straight up because I was so, so broken. I couldn't lay flat. Yes. So they actually had a hospital bed that they put in my room and they said, we got this hospital bed from my parents and we have it set up. Why don't you come lay down? And I said, no, the first thing I'm going to do is go thank captain for saving my life. And so me some treats. So he went and got me a couple horse treats and I could barely do my special whistle, like barely because I was so weak. And I, when I talked, I was still whispering because I just did not have the strength to talk more than a whisper. (laughs) And so I just barely got this whistle out. What's your whistle? I don't know if you can hear it. My mouth is a little dry. I just do this. My teeth. So anyway, he heard that and he was actually in his stall. So he couldn't see me. He had no idea I was walking out and my husband actually was taking pictures. And so I did this whistle and he was eating and he actually pokes his head out his stall door with this mouthful of hay. And he just looks over at me like, are you here? Are you back home? Like he was so excited and he walked over. Yep. He walked straight over to the fence and I just held out my hand and he ate the treats out of my hand and I just pet him and he just put his nose right on my cheek again and just was just telling me how happy he was that I was home and that he was able to see me and say hi and so yeah that was a really special moment and then yeah I was spent after that so I went back in and laid down for three days (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't go back out and say hi to him for a few more days after that that was no way out of me so yeah well it honestly like when I first heard this story I was so amazed at first of all that you survived, that you were okay. It was incredible what Captain did, your recovery, that that there was no long-term lasting damage done to your lungs, to your ribs. Do you still have plates in or did they take those out? So they had in the field when I, right when they found me, they had to put me under and intubate me in the field. And because it's so not sanitary and everything is they did the best they could. I contracted MRSA because of just, you just are prone to infections and stuff. So the MRSA actually started attacking the plates on my ribs. And so they took the plates off. And when they took the plates off, they put them on with screws to secure them. When they took the screws out, that left holes into my ribs. So the MRSA infiltrated my rib bones. And so now I just have a long, I just have a bone infection that I fight. It flares up every couple of years and I have to go in and have surgery and get it cleaned out. But remind me the question that I'm answering. I had, no, I'm like, what? So this is like an ongoing. Oh yeah. You wanted to know how effects. So yes, MRSA is, yeah, is one of the long-term residual effects from this accident. It's been okay. I mean, it hasn't been terrible. There's some, there was a time there where I just thought, oh, this is the worst thing that could happen is that I fought so hard to recover. And now I'm going to have to fight this long-term infection for the rest of my life. And I just thought it's just not fair. You know, yes. you that you, you try so hard and you work so hard and you're just like, for what, just to have to be worse off and, you know, for the rest yes. of my life. And, and you just kind of get in that mode. However, going through all those things, I've actually had lessons all along the way that have helped me learn, helped me grow during one of my MRSA flare ups, they decided instead of using 
stitches to suture me up. They were going to leave the wound open and let me heal from the inside out. And, but I wasn't healing. It wasn't closing. It'd been like a month and I still had this gaping hole on the side of my rib cage. Oh my gosh, Holly. And they said, you know what, we're going to send you to do some hyperbaric treatments. And so they sent me to do these hyperbaric treatments. And I just was not a fan because I thought I got to do this every day for three months, for two hours every day. This is miserable. <laughs> and, yes. and inside the chamber, you can't take your phone, you can't take any electronics, you just have to sit there. Now, granted, they have a TV on the outside of the hyperbaric chamber, and you can watch something on TV, but I was going in at seven in the morning, and that is the last thing I want to do at seven in the morning is watch TV. So I just, they would ask me, if you're going to be sitting here for two hours. Are you sure we can't put something on for you to watch? And I was like, I was so upset my first day. I was like, no, I don't want to watch TV. I'm just going to sit here. They're like, uh, are you sure? And I'm like, yes. Just leave me alone and let leave me alone. pout because I am just not having this. I am upset that I got to go through this in the first place. So I'm sitting there and I literally fold my arms and I'm just sulking like a two-year-old because I just, yeah. this is terrible and I yeah. hate this and I don't want to have to go through this. Yes. And I can do this every single day. Totally and validated. Yeah. Feelings. So I'm going through all these emotions and thoughts and I have to take my youngest with me at the time. He's not even four. He was just three. And so he wasn't in preschool or anything. And normally they wouldn't allow kids. They said, you have to come by yourself. And I said, I, if I have to come here every day, I can't find a babysitter. That's not fair for other right. people. I said, he's really good though. If it's only two hours, I promise he is really good. I have a whole regiment. He does coloring books. He does his letters and he has this tablet and he loves this tablet. The tablet would keep him busy for five hours if I needed it to. So I'm just yeah. like, will you just let him try it for the first day? And if you guys think he's too much, then I won't bring him again. We, yes. So I made a deal with him and they said, okay, we'll try it. So I brought Trey and I didn't want him on a tablet for two hours. So I made a deal. He had to do his coloring, his letters, his numbers. He had to practice writing his name, you know, just simple preschool things that yes. was his mind and then he could play on his tablet so he's just working away as hard as he can he's just going about coloring his picture as fast as he can and writing his letters as fast as he can so he can play on his tablet right so I can see his reflection so he sat in a chair just off just right behind my shoulder and through the glass of the hyperbaric chamber so I call it like a glass coffin it's just like a big tube that you sit in, but it was clear so I could see out of it. For those who don't know what a hyperbaric chamber is. Yes. And so I could see his reflection off the glass. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, he just puts his crens down and he pops up and he runs over to the side of my hyperbaric chamber and he shoots me this big smile and he waves. And then he goes back and sits down and he starts working on his letters and his coloring. And I thought that was out of the blue. And right after I thought that, the Holy Ghost spoke to me and said, I just sent you a smile from heaven. There is a reason that you're here. You need to figure it out. And so that like humbled me Wow! so quickly. And I stopped sulking and I just thought, okay, I, I can do that. I can yeah. figure out what why I'm supposed to go through this at this time in my life. And so it was about a month later, it took me about a month. I realized 
every day I had started bringing in conference talks to listen to. I still didn't want to watch TV, so I'd bring things in to listen to, like conference talks. I would listen to a lot of Meg Johnson, John, by the way, Hank Smith, their CDs. I would have them put those in and listen to those. Just different uplifting things like that. And I realized about a month in that even though I was supposed to be healing physically, my spirit had been healing. Like I was, I was healing and growing so much more spiritually than I thought I was like physically. And I just thought, This has been so wonderful to be able just to have two hours every day concentrated on getting fed spiritually. And I wish in my life I had time for that still to this day, but it taught me how important it was that I make, even if I just make 10 minutes every day for that spiritual food, that it's that important. That is, I, I can't imagine not knowing the end to a trial like that. People that deal with chronic health issues and physically or mentally. I just, I can't imagine thinking, I don't know when this is going to end. And this is something that I might have to deal with the rest of my life. But what's so incredible about your story is that you have such a positive outlook and that you always turn to the Lord. You always said, I can't do this. Help me. I can't do this. Help me. It was you, you, even in your darkest moments when you're like, I'm done, I can't do it. You, you didn't forget him and you always turn to him. And it's such an inspirational thing that teaches us, first of all, that he's always there and he's always willing to help us. And even when they don't, when our trials aren't taken away, like you said, there are lessons to be learned through them. And you're like, oh man, I wouldn't change those couple hours being able to draw closer. And that has strengthened your spirit so much that now you do speak to people about trials. You, you now you're such an inspiration to people and Heavenly Father is using you to do so much good. And I I want to do a part two with you, Holly, because believe it or not, like <laughs> your her story is not over. Like there, there have been so many other things that have happened. And I would love to do a part two and I would love to talk about the fire that burned your house down not long after this event happened. And and I know people are probably listening and being like, what? Like what else has this woman gone through? But but you can just hear Holly's positivity and optimism. And if you're okay with it, let's let's do a part two. And I want to talk about the fire and 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 your son and and all the things that happened with that event. Throughout all of this, honestly, Holly, like I've I've loved I I like I said, have spoken with Holly a few times and you've done firesides for our turtle house and you can go on the our turtle house app if you guys are listening and search holly porter and look at the firesides that she's done with our turtle house too but you are just so inspiring and and your optimism and your positivity and your faith is just it it, it truly is inspiring and i want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and for all the good that you're doing oh thank you thank you for inviting me it's been wonderful i love sharing my testimony and if it can just help one person turn to the savior then i feel like that is good enough. So hopefully one person will just think, you know what, when I'm going through a hard time, I just need to remember to turn to my savior. And even if it's just that one prayer, you know, that's the first step. So thank you for having me. Thank you, Holly. And and go buy a horse. (laughs) Everyone needs a horse. (laughs) Go get a good horse or a good dog or something. Honestly, like everyone just needs a good animal in their lives. So thank you, Holly. Thanks for listening to this episode of Doing Good with Carmen Herbert, available exclusively inside Our Turtle House. At Our Turtle House, there's something for the whole family. From full-leg talks that you can't get anywhere else from some of your favorite speakers, to fun family home evening lesson plans that follow the Come Follow Me curriculum. There's even short daily devotionals made specifically for your teens. 
Plus, you can get two months free when you sign up for an annual plan. Just go to OurTurtleHouse.com to get started. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you back here for another episode of Doing Good next week.